Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. I'm Dr. Phil Chan. Welcome, everyone. So, Dr. Chan, how are you today? I'm doing well. I am absolutely thrilled today to have one of my close infectious disease colleagues and mentors, uh, Dr. Rami Cantor. Welcome, Dr. Cantor. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's, it's really one of the things that's been interesting about the pandemic. There's been a lot of pluses about the pandemic. But one of the big pluses is me getting to meet all these different people in Rhode Island medicine. And it's been really fun to meet you and work with you. And, and we've had conversations about the variants of COVID. And it's really been interesting to talk to you about it. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. But why don't we get started with just you telling us a little bit about yourself. Can you just tell us a little bit about you? Well, who is Rami Cantor? Sure. So first of all, just wanted to congratulate both of you for the amazing things that you're doing for Rhode Islanders uh, during this pandemic and specifically, of course, for this incredible um, podcast, which is really outstanding. And I think we should all be continuously applauding for both of you. And I really mean that. Well, thank Um, you for saying that. (laughs) Keep keep going with nice things, though. We like that. I'm a professor of medicine at the Division of Infectious Diseases of Brown. I've been in Rhode Island since 2004. Um, I'm a clinician. I see patients, uh, outpatients, inpatients, and I, I'm a researcher. I'm part of the Center for AIDS Research uh, based at the Miriam Hospital. Um, I uh, do clinical uh, research, wet lab research, analytics research. My main focus in my normal life is on HIV, uh, mostly on the resistance that develops to HIV medications. And uh, in the last year, I kind of went from, and I'm sure other people went uh, through this from like, okay, I can't change what I'm doing because I'm so busy to, well, maybe there's something about this virus, this new virus or this pandemic. And so maybe I'll start kind of doing something and, and, and exploring what I can do. And we can talk about that later to today where about 50% of my time is probably focused on on uh, SARS-CoV-2, and and I try to use my expertise from the HIV world to what I can contribute to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And so uh, in collaboration with the Rhode Island Department of Health and with the Rhode Island Department of Health State Lab, we uh, set up an assay to to genomically look at this new virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, um, and we're now working very closely with them to uh, monitor that in Rhode Island. So thank you, Dr. Cantor. And I, I just want to share. Uh, so Dr. Cantor uh, was the the person who taught me how to write a grant initially. So I just want to to uh, acknowledge that. And uh, a lot of what I've learned in terms of research and grant writing is due to Dr. Cantor, uh, who's also a basketball fan, by the way. And we've talked about that before. We're just talking about that, uh, Dr. Cantor, because uh, the NBA released the results of their, their pod testing uh, recently in gym. And that was one of the, one of the things during the pandemic that really blew my mind. But the one other story I wanted to share about you real quick uh, is in, if, you, if you remember back during the early days of testing, and we're thinking March, April, uh, you know, Dr. McDonald, I'm not sure if you remember this, but we got a call from Dr. King, our, uh, our highly esteemed lab director, who told us that we're about to run out of lab supplies. Oh, yes, that, I remember that. <laughs> the way that Dr. King likes to describe it is, is testing for SARS-CoV-2 is like baking a cake, right? If you are missing any of one ingredient, then you, you can't bake the cake, you can't test. And there's, there's a lot, it's not just a single test. Uh, there's lots of different uh, ingredients. And we were down to hours of not being able to test for COVID here in Rhode Island. 
And uh, and I, at the director's request, sent out an email to all researchers across Rhode Island. And Dr. Cantor was one of two folks. Uh, Dr. Jim Padbury was the other uh, researcher who responded with uh, some supplies that allowed us to test for the next day or two until we got a shipment of supplies into test. So I just want to thank you again, uh, Dr. Cantor, for that. And just reflecting back on how crazy it's been uh, during the pandemic. You know, you do really remind me about in the beginning of the pandemic, there was supposed to be a shortage of everything. And you really, I remember that time where, you know, it, it, I guess it wasn't known to the public, but it was just one of those things where it's like, we were desperate for everything. And, you know, you know, Dr. Kenner, you really helped out a lot that day. I remember that because I remember saying like, it was amazing how we could get that to work out. Like those are the things that you just imagine never work out and they did. So that was a really a great thing. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, Dr. Chen, not only a fan, but also a player of basketball. So, well, that's awesome. So it used to be, used to be. <laughs> Why don't we start with something really, I think it's, you know, when, when I think about the term variant, like I think, I don't know that everybody actually understands what we're talking about when we say the word variant. So when we talk about a variant of SARS-CoV-2, what are we really even talking about? Yeah, so it's a great question because the word variant, I think, is one of the most common words in the pandemic today. So really a variant is basically a virus with mutations. So, you know, virus, if we think about a virus as kind of like a, you know, like some kind of a structure, let's think about a ball that has spikes on it uh, and some genetic material inside, that's basically a virus. And those spikes on, on that ball attach to the human cell. And, you know, the, this is the ACE2 receptor that we're talking about, but just the, the spike attaches to the human cell uh, through a certain area on that spike. And again, the biological term is receptor binding domain. So the spike attaches to the human cells in order to enter it and infect it. And then it uses that cell machinery in order to multiply or replicate. That's what a virus does. Now that replication process is prone to errors. So, you know, I, I, I think of it as an analogy of like you're copying, you're drawing from a picture. So you're gonna draw from a picture, you're gonna make some mistakes, right? Then the nose is gonna be a little bit narrower, the chin is gonna be different, the eyes, you know, are gonna be different, but you're still getting the same person, but you know, it's gonna, it's gonna have some errors. So those errors that are being made when a virus enters into the cell and replicates are called mutations. So, um, you know, the result of those mutations could be good, there could be bad, and there could be no change. It doesn't really matter at this point, but a variant is basically this virus with those errors or mutations, period. That's it. That's what a variant is. Yeah, thank you for that, Dr. Cantor. And, you know, it's interesting as we're talking about uh, some of the some of the challenges during the pandemic. I, you know, I, this is one thing I know that you're too humble to mention this. So I'm just going to mention it for you. But you are actually an international, uh, not just a, a nationally known, but really a world renowned expert in variants, mostly related to HIV, um, but certainly direct lessons, obviously, with COVID and viruses in general. And uh, you are uh, obviously a, a world renowned expert for that. And I think one thing, you know, you've been involved in this since the pandemic, and it's, it's interesting. I, you've mentioned a couple times uh, before variants became a thing, you've always mentioned uh, that, that we should start to be concerned about them. And I think there's been so many challenges that it's only lately, lately, the last couple months where this has really emerged as, you know, since September, I guess, September, October, um, the latter half of the pandemic, where this has really emerged as 
uh, potentially a, a, a very serious threat. But talk to us about these emerging variants, I guess, for COVID. How how concerned should we be? And and t- t- tell us a little bit about you know about the variation in this virus and 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 I guess just how concerned and and where we're going from here. Yeah, very, very general question um, and a good one, of course. The concern for me is real because like you said, I'm a person who like thinks about these mutations initially in the HIV world and now in the COVID-19 world. And so these uh, uh, mutations that develop in those variants that we just define what those are um, and have some kind of a bad impact on us, meaning either they increase that attachment that we talked about between that spike and the cell. And the the result of that is that there is stronger attachment, more infection, more replication, more of the process that we just described right now, which is the development of those mutations. Uh, So that's kind of on one hand. And on the other hand, there are all these things that the virus is trying to do to fight back, to protect itself, meaning the virus wants to not have that, uh, uh, you know, our immune system fighting back against what the virus wants to do. So our immune system wants to reduce that uh, attachment. So it'll develop, for example, antibodies, uh, which will go and try to attach to that same area that the virus attaches in order to enter the cell. That's the kind of the same thing that the vaccine does. That's kind of the same thing that other um, medications or you know, convalescent plasma or things that we're using used to give um, our patients do. So that same area that the virus attaches into the cell is being attacked by the body. And there's kind of a competition there between the virus and the body, right? So once the virus sees a lot of replication, it has the ability to generate a lot of mutations. And that's how we come to have variants that are of concern meaning those mutations that develop because of the process that I just described, there are many mutations, some of them good, some of them bad. But once we start fighting the virus, those mutations have a consequence. And that's what concerns me because once there's a lot of replication, there's a lot of variants that have a lot of mutations that might be problematic, then we're starting to see the consequences. The consequences could be several, right? It could be like we just said, more transmissibility. So because of that process uh, that we just described, the virus could be more transmissive. It could be more lethal to cause more hospitalizations or more death. It could cause evasion of our vaccines. It could cause evasion of our treatments. So all those things worry me, again, with a a very, very close focus on those mutations and those variants. And, uh, you know, if we look back at how all these variants of concerns and variants of interest were were developed, or were, sorry, uh, discovered, it all started from more people being infected in certain areas, being in the UK, which was the first place, or in South Africa, or in Brazil, or now in the US and California and in New York, and now we're talking about India. So that whole thing concerns me because that process is still occurring after more than a year that we're seeing this. And so, you know, that is what worries me. Yeah, you know, I think you bring up a lot of good points. It's interesting, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is 
you know, the CDC uses terms like variant of interest, variant of concern, variant of high consequence. And quite frankly, to people in the general public, I don't know that those terms really mean anything. And, and I think you mentioned India. And, and one of the things that I just wonder about is like when I think about the alphabet soup of all these variants, because we don't even give these variants names, we give them a letter and number. So it just further makes the public a little more confused. But, you know, in India right now, this is really just amazing how challenging things are in India. And, you know, there's a variant over there. I mean, how concerned are you about what's going on about with variants in India right now? Any thoughts on that? You know, we talked about the variant being uh, mutations of viruses with mutations. And then we just talked about some of those mutations being potentially problematic. So what the world is doing and what the CDC in the U.S. is doing is that they're kind of ranking those viruses with mutations that we are seeing uh, as they occur. And uh, variant of interest, as opposed to just variant, right? Variant, we just said, is a virus of mutations. A variant of interest is a variant with mutations that likely matter, that likely have some bad impact that we just discussed, transmissibility, lethality, everything that we just mentioned. So that's a variant of interest. The second tier is a variant of concern. So that's, those are variants that not likely matter, but that matter, and I'm simplifying. So difference between likely matter and matter means we have accumulated enough information and we have some data to support the fact that this, is, this matters. This either increases transmissibility or increases a problem for all the treatments that we have or we increases a problem with the vaccine. So it's kind of a ranking system. And the third, on that level is uh, uh, the a variant of special consequences. And that means not only that it really matters, but that previous prevention and treatment modalities that we have don't work. And luckily that last one is empty right now. So we don't have such variants. So- Yeah, we this, want to keep that category empty, don't we? Exactly. So, so, th- so this is variant of interest variant of concern and variant of special consequences. Now let's go to India. How, how concerned am I, am I? I mean, I'm concerned. I think we're all, uh, you know, seeing the devastation there. I've worked in India many years, probably, probably almost 20 years. I have, you know, close friends and colleagues there. I've communicated with them. It's devastating. Um, you know, there's very limited genomic surveillance there but we already know that they have described a variant that is called quote unquote, the India variant, but it's rightly probably defined as the the variant that was initially described in India. Uh, The the official name is B1561. This is the, you know, the, the, the confusing naming that you mentioned that is there. That is the one that's kind of getting a lot of the attention, but, but the reality is that it also has other variants of concern. For example, the B117, the variant was a, that was originally described in the UK, and a combination of factors. Uh, uh, this is not my opinion. This is what is coming out of India, which is most likely, you know, kind of thinking earlier on in this year that uh, kind of we got this and we don't need to worry about this and we're good. Again, this is not my opinion. Uh, this is what 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 folks from India are saying, combined with very large gatherings, either related to holidays or to other or, or to other things, and the presence of that variant that is more transmissible, which is that variant that was originally described in the UK. 
a combination of this basically led to a lot of people being infected, a lot of mutations being developed just in the process that we discussed earlier on. And then this variant, this variant, the India variant, quote unquote, developed because those mutations confer, confer some kind of advantage. And this is that variant that, that exists there. So there are, there are two mutations in that specific variant that occur in other variants. One of them occurs actually in the California variant. Uh, this is the L452R, if people want to know the, the, the details, but it really doesn't matter. It's all that change in that spike area. It's all the same as we discussed before. And the other is a mutation, again, called 484Q, which is similar to a mutation that exists in other variants, in the variant from South Africa, the variant from Brazil. So the combination of these two mutations with the context of India that we just described led to this, to what we're seeing right now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very you know, worried. Uh, we, we still don't have a lot of information about what the impact is. I saw just one paper relatively recently, again, it's not yet peer reviewed, that basically said that uh, uh, the uh, India vaccine that they uh, looked at that is uh, Covaxin, that's the name of the vaccine. It's, it's manufactured by the Bharat Biotech in India actually, actually might work against this variant. This is wonderful. We're very happy to hear that, but it's just happening right now in front of our eyes. I think we need to learn more within this context. I'm extremely concerned of what's going on. Yeah, thank you. I think uh, likewise, I think we're all concerned and obviously our uh, our thoughts are with the folks in India. I mean, that's been really sad. It's been described as uh, you know an apocalypse over there and from what little images I've seen, I mean, it's absolutely devastating. Let's. Let's think about Rhode Island here in the United States. What are we seeing in terms of variants uh, in general in Rhode Island and really across the United States? Are we seeing any, any concerning variants here in Rhode Island? So first of all, variants are here, like everywhere in the United States. You know, we've been tracking this again with, with close collaboration with the Rhode Island Department of Health. And we are basically doing weekly, actually daily uh, surveillance of the genomics that we're doing, generating daily and, 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 and uh, looking at this very, very closely. There's basically no variants of concerns and variants of interest before January of this year. Uh, so it all started relatively in recent months. And since then, we have been seeing increasing prevalence of the variants of concerns and variants of uh, interest in Rhode Island basically by the week. And the, the genomic surveillance capacity uh, is increasing significantly. So we're sequencing more and more and more viruses and as time passes, the more we sequence, the more variants we see. Right now, I could uh, say, you know, the, the numbers as of today, and people can go to the Rhode Island Department of Health website and see these numbers that I'm going to mention right now. So we've sequenced uh, 2,081 samples already in Rhode Island. The B117, which is the variant originally described in the UK that we just mentioned that exists in India too, and that we know that increases transmissibility, was identified in 401 people. The, uh, I'll call it the New York uh, family uh, uh, of variants because there's a couple of them, but they were originally described in New York, was identified in 443 of those. Uh, uh, and the California, the one that was described in California, a family of variants was uh, in 120. And then we have 32 of the uh, one, the variant described in uh, Brazil. So currently, again, as time passes, I can say that about 90% of the samples that we're sequencing are any one of those variants that I just mentioned with, with about 50-50 uh, 
the, the variant described in the UK and the variant described in New York, which are the two major ones. And then all the others that I mentioned are kind of smaller. Um, so this is all pretty similar to what's going on in New England and even more than New England around the New York area. And pretty much not far from the truth uh, in the U.S. I mean, there are local variations. Uh, the concept of the variants becoming the majority of those being sequenced is definitely similar throughout the U.S. There might be a little tweaks in terms of which variants. Again, uh, this is this is basically a brief summary about Rhode Island. Yeah, it's interesting, Dr. Kander. You make me wonder a little bit about children, and I'm just thinking about the risk of variants in children. And I guess I, you know I'm still learning about you know, the risk in, in kids, period. I mean, it, it seems like they've had milder diseases. You read different things about the B117 variant in kids, but do, do you have any thoughts about variants in children? Any thoughts on that at all? I don't think I can provide specific thoughts about children, but I can say that today, the younger folks are the ones that are less vaccinated, right? So that goes together with the concern that I that I mentioned earlier, which is, what variants want is to replicate because that replication will cause the mutations and will cause all this process that we just discussed. So if now the younger generation, children, younger adults, the folks who have not been vaccinated yet, especially those that vaccines are not approved yet for, which are the really younger ones, now are going to become the population that is going to get those infections, uh, that, that concerns me. Again, it's not, it has nothing to do, you, you could name it children, you could name it any other population that's not, that's not vaccinated, I'll have the same concern. I don't think I have special concerns about kids. I'm happy to hear what Dr. Chan thinks, uh, maybe even on, on, on the other side, because we know from the earlier parts of the epidemic that, that, that kids basically, although there were a lot of kids that were very, very sick, as a whole, they were maybe less sicker than uh, adults, so maybe that's a good thing. But I, I do have that concern that they are now are and are going to be uh, in the near future the population without vaccination. That's my concern. Yeah, it does seem like the pandemic's getting younger. I mean, one of the things I'm seeing right now is because of the variant, we're seeing unvaccinated older people end up in the hospital because the science hasn't changed. But it does look like over the next month or two or three, while we're waiting for these vaccines to get into kids the pandemic's going to really move into the kid population because the virus want, I, the virus doesn't want anything, but the virus, you know, replicates and viruses that replicate look for hosts. And that's where you're going to find susceptible hosts. Yeah. And I, I think as we're talking, you know, the, I think the million dollar question, perhaps even more, uh, Dr. Cantor, is how are these variants going to evolve over time? And are they going to be able to overcome the vaccines? I mean, I, I've been vaccinated. Um, uh, I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this have been vaccinated. And, you know, are we going to need boosters? SARS-CoV-2, the cause of COVID-19, is not influenza. So I'm still a little bit optimistic that we may not need uh, uh, endless boosters. I, I, my personal opinion is we may, we may need a single booster or two, perhaps. But what are your thoughts on thinking about the future of variants, how this, based on what you know and have seen to date, how this virus uh, is going to mutate over time? And if you think we're going to need, you know, an annual, you know, COVID vaccine booster, what are your thoughts on that? It's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll answer, but I'll start by saying it's really hard to make predictions with this virus. I remember from the start, we had so many thoughts that turned out to be completely wrong and that this virus has completely surprised us and I think still continues to, that I, I'm really, really worried about making predictions. Having said that, um, you know, 
I do think that one problem related to at the answering of this is that, you know, internationally, vaccines are very limited. If we look at, at, as a, at the world as one thing rather than kind of the U.S. or even Rhode Island. So that's one. Two, we're opening up travel, right? It's starting and it's going to just explode. And we know that. And that's probably a good thing. As long as that is there, meaning there's a big part of the world that's not vaccinated and there's a lot of people traveling back and forth, that's a problem in my mind. And so I, in terms of answering a booster question, I can see a need or I could see a scenario where we will need to consider where we're going, what the variant that is there and whether the data show that the vaccines are appropriate for that variant. And like we get a vaccine for something else when we travel, we might need to get a booster for uh, SARS-CoV-2. I could see that happening. Um, whether we'll need you know, an annual uh, vaccine like we do for influenza, for example, again, hard to make predictions, but I wanna share your cautious optimism because I do think that the viral features are different. So, you know, SARS-CoV-2 develops mutations relatively slowly, despite all the variants that we're seeing and everything that I just said about all the mutations, it is relatively uh, slow compared to other viruses. And there are different, you know, different, different features uh, that make me cautiously optimistic with you that we might not need that. There's no real genetic uh, shift yet. There's real no extensive recombination that we're seeing, even though we're starting to talk about it. So all that makes me think that, uh, you know, maybe travel related and not annual with an asterisk of this virus will continue to surprise us. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, you know, it's interesting how our time has flown right by here. I feel like we just said hi and now we're getting ready to say goodbye here. But I've learned a lot about the variants. And I think, you know, we, it's interesting to me, like, as new as this pandemic was to all of us, you know, in late 19, early 20, and as much as people might getting tired of the pandemic, the virus isn't getting tired of us. Um, so, you know, I think this is one of those things where we're living in a period of vigilance. And I think, you know, one of the things I keep my mind on is though our whole United States and the world has gone through this population trauma, you know, one way to get through the population trauma is just recognize that we're living with this. It's going to be an endemic disease. It's something we're going to keep track of. And, you know, it's the scientists like yourself who are not just locally known, but world renowned that really help us stay on top of this. And we really are very grateful uh, to your contributions to Rhode Island and the planet science. It's just great to keep, to have that. Dr. Chan, we always go to you for the final word. Uh, so what is the final word from Dr. Chan today? Yeah, thank you, Dr. McDonald. And thank you again, Dr. Cantor, for joining. Always a pleasure. So in closing, I want to leave folks with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your week. And here it is from the Buddha. Remember that the only constant in life is change, including apparently COVID-19. So thank you all and be well. I want to thank Jose Garcia and Stephanie Menders, our producers. And I want to thank Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up a great.